Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This all comes back to Chocolat. No, no it doesn't. No, it really does, because Sh- Charlie and the Chocolat Factory... <laughs> Enough starring Jennifer Lopez. Jen- we are not doing this. Enough. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Pumpkin scream in the dead of night. It's only Halloween because you've insisted that it is Halloween. It is Halloween. We are recording this at the end of September. It's not Halloween yet. Yeah, but it is officially spooky season. Sure, 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 sure. It's pumpkin spice season. It's spooky season. It's here. Babe, last night we watched two of the movies that I watch every Halloween. Mm-hmm. The vibe has begun. It's, and you it's better begun. catch it. I better catch it. Um, And for the virgins who don't know, we are continuing our ooky spooky series. Uh, With the, the kind of the king of ook and spook himself. <laughs> yes. Well, the, the, king, the, king, of- the king of sort of like contemporary like consumerist scaredy vibes yeah 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 exactly you know for kids Uh, a creator who has had quite a journey um and a range of films that people love and then films that people don't love so much yes tim burton is today's discussion yes as lydia dietz aka winona Ryder, once said i myself am strange and unusual that's correct she also said that her whole life was a dark room and she had really spiky bangs which i at one point wanted you should be her for halloween honestly i have thought about it you've never it done would, that before no i've never done it you should never you done should. never done lydia deets okay and um, i'll be beetlejuice and i'll marry you 
Okay. Just kidding. I would hate that. I you would, would never that. be Beetlejuice. I, but I bet costume. you could be sexy Beetlejuice. Let's look up sexy Beetlejuice porn. I'm sure. No, we don't need to do that. Why? Porn. Anyway, we need this to start is like a virgin. Episode. This is like a virgin. The show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I'm Rose Damu. And I'm Fran Torado. And I found some Beetlejuice gay porn. <laughs> Hello, virgins. Hello, virgins. We are coming to you from um, a different coast, a different time zone, a different state of mind. A New York state of mind, one might say. Definitely. I will say something that is really amazing about you right now being in New York is that you're you're booked and busy. You are out. You have plans. You are seeing people. You are doing things. Yes, I, I do have to say I did enjoy... Getting to say to you twice this weekend. Oh, I. Oh, sorry. I, 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 well, I didn't apologize because I would never do that. Um, <laughs> Shut up. But I did uh, say I have plans. And you know what? I think it was ugly of you to assume that I didn't. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, yeah, yeah. I was. No. <laughs> Definitely isn't in accordance with the years that I've known you. Well, no. But um, hey, you're only speaking from the experience of me being a friendless loser in Los Angeles. And in, in New York, <laughs> I am uh, a loser with friends. Look, it takes one to know one, sis. And the reason I'm here in New York a week early is because I realized all my friends left LA and I was like, oh, no, no. I need to get myself to New York City. Yeah, but one thing you need to understand was that on Friday when you texted me and asked if I wanted to go out that night, and I said, oh, I have plans. And you said, oh, well, the party doesn't start till 11. That's not... You're like, I'm not going to that. Just because, baby, 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 listen. Just because (laughs) we're on a different coast does not mean I'm a different woman. And at 11 11 o'clock, the only place I want to be is leaving a movie, leaving dinner, or already... In bed. In bed. <laughs> Just because I might be in New York City, but I'm not going out to like a party Look. that starts at 11. Those Babes, days are behind you, me. Babe, you just got here, and I was thinking, look, the time zones are in your favor. Maybe, you know, jet lag's keeping you up a little bit later. It's a good time to go out. Um, I'm glad you didn't go. You would have hated the show. No, the only thing that's happened on the L train is me listening to Thoroughfare by Ethel Kane on a loop <laughs> and attempting not to have a public breakdown. <laughs> Can we talk about how that song is so, like, a, a, the new autumnal anthem. Like, it is so, like, Ethel Kane is so fall music. It's and so, It also is summer music because it's, like, hot, sticky, sweaty. But, yes, it is, it is very I, much helping me feel the sad girl fall vibes. I've been doing yeah. nothing but just walking around the Upper East Side, seeing places where parts of You've Got Mail were shot, and listening to, <laughs> listening to Ethel Kane. <laughs> seeing places where You've Got Mail shot because you're on a personalized uh, You've Got Mail walking tour that, you, yes. that, you, that you've pulled up no, on but your like, phone. There's like uh, five different shooting locations from You've Got Mail within like a five-block radius of my brother's apartment. <laughs> No. There's also there's also <laughs> my brother when you, when you walk out of his building the Lincoln Center AMC is within eyesight it's <gasps> right across the street Rose that's so convenient I do have to admit something though which is mm. that this weekend this is really hard to say <laughs> I went to a non AMC theater for the first <gasps> time since I became a stubbornista no, which one did you go to? Regal Union Square. 
Shoot, which has girl. now you didn't even go to like one of like the art house cinema ones. No. You didn't go to like fucking Nighthawk or some no, shit. and the Metrograph. <laughs> Regal, you, well, Metrograph. You know, the last movie I saw before COVID was a screening of Melancholia at Metrograph. What did they know? <laughs> yeah. What did they <laughs> yeah. know? Um, oh, they knew a lot. They knew a lot. No, but the Regal Union Square has been totally redone inside. It's very like dark and clubby. And that is where I saw Smile. On Friday. Clubby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you walk in, it's all like, unts, unts, there's like smoke machines gone. Well, my friend Ryan and I were going to go see Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, yeah we were going to... looks bad. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to see it, but it was it was sold out, so we ended up seeing Smile instead. And let me tell you, after seeing a trailer for that movie, at, at every time I saw a movie for the past six months, <laughs> I was not expecting it to be very good, but it was surprisingly mm. good and scary. I would have expected all the good scenes to be spoiled by the trailer. Was that were were there a lot of other scenes as well? <laughs> were there other scenes? As there well? were other scenes. I will say, if you've seen the trailer, like the full trailer, one of the biggest jump scares in the movie is in the trailer. It's the scene where she's sitting in the car and the woman walks the, up to her and her neck. head swings down. But there's plenty of other good jump scares, and I screamed a lot. The main actress, Sosie Bacon, who's Kevin Bacon's daughter, um, was very good. She was also kind of giving Ethel Kane a little bit. And yeah, it was a good movie. I, I the, the theater, as much as I love seeing a horror movie with an audience full of people and it becomes very like communal and, you know, everyone's screaming, it was very noisy and people were talking during the entire film. But... God, people talking during movies. That's so insufferable, Yeah, but, but, right? not, but, not like, but not like, you know, little snippets of conversation every once in a while, which my friend Ryan and I were doing at one point. We stopped, like, like paying attention to the movie to talk about Partner Track, the Netflix show. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, no, but there were... But everyone else was talking. Ev- so. No, but everyone, there, everyone else was talking throughout the entire movie and not really trying to keep it at a low volume. Mm. You know, I will say if it's like a scary movie, I endorse that. Like I, I you know, if we've all if we all if we've all come to the theater and we're agreeing that this is like a kind of fine scary movie that we've seen the trailer for 700 times and so like we don't so we can like act like we're going to watch it at home, I'm going to be trash and say that um, you know, I'll participate in that. But, like, I try to catch the vibe of, like, what the theater's on, right? I mean, not all the time. Like, sometimes you and I are just fully talking. No, but, but, like, but, but we're still, like, we're, st- we're still, like, whispering respectful. and respectful. This respectful, was, like, yeah, yeah. running commentary. This was, like, <laughs> more talking than our Hocus Pocus DVD commentary track. <laughs> oh, so, God. we now have tried multiple times to talk about the new interview with the vampire show and it hasn't Mm -hmm. worked out for one reason or another so i think now is a good time to discuss so um i think we should have that conversation yes and i will preface it for you virgins by saying we are going to dive a little deeper into interview with the vampire in our vampire centric episode but when we recorded that we had not yet seen the new show so Mm. i think it's it's fine for us to just talk about it now and i've seen all three episodes that are out fran you've seen the first two i've seen the first so i have to say you know it is now part of my must watch sunday night tv alongside house Mm -hmm. of the dragon um 
So some interesting things about this this new adaptation of Anne Rice's, you know, I think most famous work is this new show, which is on AMC Plus, has updated the source material, which, you know, is about a vampire giving an interview. And the the sort of framing device of this is that that interview happened, but it wasn't like really true to life. And so now the vampire and the journalist are revisiting their interview 50 years later. And Louis, the, the titular vampire, is giving a more honest version of his story. And in this updated version, Louis, rather than being, you know, a 17th century plantation owner, is now a black queer man in the early 1900s in New Orleans, who runs a string of brothels after his family fortune, you know, kind of like crumbles to dust when his father dies. And he meets Lestat de Lioncourt, who... Lestat de Lioncourt. Who is... So hot in this new version. So hot. So French. So French. And they fall in love. And the thing about Interview with the Vampire, and, you know, we talk a little bit about this in our vampire episode, but, like, to give you a little preview, you know, Anne Rice's novel was very gay. (laughs) It was Explicitly. explicitly gay. It was, and the 1994 film, as much as I love it, it made all of that explicit queerness into subtext and it's very homoerotic mm-hmm. but it's not out and out gay so subtextual that when i watched it and again you'll hear this in the episode but when i watched it and rose told me that there were that it was gay in the book i was shook i was like oh what it's like actually gay because it's really yeah. just homoerotic subtext yeah. in the movie it's like really neutered i'm, I'm not gonna yeah lie. but in Anne rice's novel and in all of her novels it's very clear that Lestat and Louis are lovers. And in this new show, they are also lovers. It is gay. It is gay. It is so gay. And, you know, the whole first episode is Lestat, you know, seducing Louis, who is already, because of the changes that have been made to his character, is already an other. Um, you know, because he's a black queer man in the early 1900s. And then, like, that gets further exacerbated when he is turned into a vampire. He's like the ultimate other. But in that first episode, you know, they have this incredible love scene. Before Lestat turns him into a vampire, he tells him he loves him. It's just so good and sexy. And in this new episode, when you watch it, there's like a discussion of open relationships and like polyamory and pansexuality. And, you know, I just love that it's so explicit, but still like really sexy and romantic and all the things that an Anne Rice adaptation should be. I love the adaptation. I, it's, I'm going to keep watching. I am, you know, definitely going to finish out my AMC free trial for that. Continue to give AMC plus my money or whatever. And uh, just as you, you said, like, I am just really enthralled by the raw sexuality of the show. Like sex. Sexuality, like with capital S, um, right? Not and I, sensuality, sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I really appreciate that. I love how like 
horny it is. It's very pulpy, right? Like, mm-hmm. it leans into the kind of graphic novel also a, a, you know, southern gothic kind of edge of it. Um, I love that there's this kind of new spin on this trope that you have pointed out to me over and over again that, like, a lot of, like, vampires fight in the Confederate War <laughs> or something. Yeah, well, that's not in Interview with a Vampire, this, no. but... That is in um, True Blood, in uh-huh. Twilight, uh-huh. Um, in The Vampire Diaries. Those are all things what? where there are vampires who at one and point were Confederate soldiers. Literally all of them were Confederate soldiers. So why? So like what I'm saying is like, I feel because um, the Interview with a Vampire reboot is a period drama. I'm like, I feel this like... I mean, it's already very racialized. They have conversations about race that I think are really interesting. And I think my one complaint is I do think Louis is like, can be occasionally like a little fart facey. Like sometimes I wish that he was just a little less soap and a little more like acting. I, um, I, I just like don't really see that. I think he's really good. I just think I'm sometimes I'm watching and I, and I, I get a little bit of like Galadriel and Rings of Power. Like I'm not really getting the emotion that I want. But he is also really ama- He's not as bad as Galadriel. Galadriel literally cannot make an emotion to save her life. Like <laughs> still, literally. Okay, sorry. Can I spoiler alert something really quick? Sure, for Rings sure. Of Power? I, I, for for all the virgins listening, um, I have kind of stopped watching Rings of Power. I'm gonna wait yeah. till all the episodes are out and just binge it because I just got really bored. I actually won't even spoil it that hard. All I'm going to say is that something happens where in a huge part of the world literally explodes and and Galadriel still cannot make a facial expression. Like, the world is collapsing on top of her and around her. Smoke, fire, brimstone, and she cannot raise an eyebrow. I was like, girl, like your Botox is not like that restrictive. Like I know you can do this. It's actually comical at this point. But when all the episodes are out and you do watch, I'm very excited to debrief. Well, I'm not excited to debrief because it's not an exciting show, but I still want to talk to you about Um, it. Anyways, Interview with a Vampire, great. Much better than Rings of Power. Please watch it. It's so good. You haven't, you've watched some of last night's House of the Dragon. Oh correct? yes, oh yes. We need to catch up on. Okay, this. but you haven't um, watched the I've whole watched thing, half. so we can't no. really catch up. No, so we can't get maybe for the spoil for the virgin's benefit. We won't get into spoilers for last week's episode. But as we are coming up on the end of the season, because I believe there's mm-hmm. only two episodes left, what are mm-hmm. you most excited about? What are you most excited to see? Where do you think this? How do you think the season's going to wrap up? Obviously, okay, so Rhaenyra and Damon are going to have, like, a wild fuck sesh. They're going to kill everyone. Rhaenyra's going to walk up to the bar. She's going to say, can I have a Negroni? Spagliato. That really just <laughs> came out of nowhere this weekend. Pey- Peyton Dix really put in the work. She did, as she I, always HBO does. should be paying her, honestly. But, like, I have to say, just to be annoying, as a non-binary, I have been ordering Negronis at dive bars for, like, years. okay years. I love ordering a Negroni at, like, literally any bar because it's really hard to fuck up. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know, like, what all this, like, you know, cr- why everyone's going crazy over Emma Darcy. Because of the you know, way Emma Darcy said it was so, so sexy. hot. It's God, so they hot. are so hot, and they're yeah. so good. Like, the acting in last night's episode, I mean, I will say, 
Last night's episode was not one of my favorites of the season. I thought it was a bit clunky. Um, but the performances across the board are just so good. Yeah, this... So I'm partway through this most recent episode. It's really choppy, right? Yeah. They're, they're trying... Because they do an another time jump. But this is the last <laughs> another one. Another six year... Oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay, that's great. So it's a six-year time jump, allegedly the last one. And um, it's like they are just planting plot points in teeny tiny scenes scattered through the whole episode to propel you forward and to kind of get you up to speed, so to speak. And again, like like we said last time, it doesn't feel like, you know, poorly done or like I'm not getting what I want, but I just, I want more. So many Aegons. So many Aegons. So People really in medieval times or whatever just kind of reuse the same five names over and over again. <laughs> but do you have a, do you have a favorite character? Yeah, I mean, Rhaenyra, I love. Um, also, Rhaenys. Yeah. Rhaenys. The, the queen yeah. who never was. Um, she she yeah. got a lot to do in this episode, which was great. Yeah, she did. And she's becoming more of, like, a player. Like, a real... Or she always has been, but it is even more so, like, a player yes. in the game. I also like Helena, who is mm. the daughter of Alicent, who seems to have some kind of prophetic vision mm. thing happening she might have the dragon dreams that some targaryens have because she's now predicted a couple things over the course of these mm. episodes and she has a, a sweet little moment in this episode as well that you'll see but you know the thing about the show is as we've said it's everyone's bad even the people that i'm rooting for like obviously i'm team black I'm on Rhaenyra's side. At Team Incest. And I think the show is being a little it, a little heavy-handed with wanting you to root for Rhaenyra's side by making mm. Alicent and the Greens kind of like more obviously and almost cartoonishly villainous. Because I think, as we've said, when it comes down to it, like these are all bad people doing bad things for like the goal of what? Power. Like that's kind of it. And so I'm not rooting for anyone so much as I'm just enjoying the ride. Because at the end of the day, these are all bad people. And I, I like, I already, we all, we all already know how it ends because we've all watched Game of Thrones. So we know it's going to end badly, but it's just so much fun to see how badly it's going to end. Yeah, it is. And I, I think just like in the, the container of the story is still so compelling so yeah yeah i'm i'm i i hate how much i've grown to like the show but i think it's kind of my favorite thing on right now uh, i'm gonna be devastated with a vampire be devastated when it ends yeah. maybe i should be something from house of the dragon for halloween um if you have suggestions yeah. for what i should be for halloween please slide into our dms at like a virgin 420 69 to let me know because i still have no clue This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. 
you have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. As someone who hasn't seen quite as much of the Tim Burton canon mm-hmm. as I have. Mm-hmm. What do you think defines a Tim Burton film? Well, he is a bit of an ooky spooky girl. I think like an ooky spooky yeah. aesthetic. I think everyone in the movie needs to look blue in the face. Just like so as, white. Like <laughs> yeah, white as possible. No, so white that they are blue. Like that oh. actually is the palette that he's working with. And I actually think that palette and like scape of color is is really big in his films like mm-hmm. there is an aesthetic that draws everything together and then time so would you say would you say that above all tim burton movies are defined by their aesthetic unfortunately yeah um and i you know what's so funny is as someone who has on the pod said I'm, like, much more style over substance sometimes when we were talking about, like, Baz Luhrmann. I do think that Tim Burton is kind of that girl, too. Yes. I I will say that I think he has some themes that he does return to that are not just stylistic. Among he, them, what? Death. Death, the afterlife, mm-hmm. um, you know, magic, darkness. Yeah. He also really likes... Um, Murder, ghosts. Yes. Also, um, he is very into revisiting sort of older pieces of pop culture. Right. I think he's very much stuck in his childhood mm-hmm. and looking back at those things through his lens. So things like... Batman, Alice in Wonderland, mm. Dark Shadows, Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate, Chocolate Factory. Factory, 
And he is obsessed with youth and innocence for mm. a big chunk of his career. And I, I would say, like, from the 90s to now, he has primarily made ookie spooky family-friendly films mm-hmm. and entertainment. And these are a lot of these are reboots, right? A lot of these are adaptations of particularly dark stories from the yore of children's storytelling. You know, I, I think that darkness is something that you can say ends up in every single one of his films in some capacity, both literal and metaphorical darkness. But I also he is thought of as an auteur, and I think there is a cultural perception mm-hmm. that with his films he is. Writing, directing, doing all of the stylistic work. And in a lot of cases, that's not always true. You know, something like Beetlejuice, which I think is a really good place for us to start because I do believe it is his best work. And we watched it last night. Fran saw it for the first time. Um, He didn't write the script to Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice was a script that was kind of shuffling around the studio system, trying to find the right director and went through a bunch of rewrites until it eventually made its way to Tim Burton. It was initially much darker and was, you know, through his work on it became sort of a lighter, I mean, obviously still very, you know, tongue-in-cheek and there are things now that I don't think you'd get away with in in a, a sort of, like, family comedy today. But, yeah, I mean, it's still, like, palatable for a PG-13 audience, even though Beetlejuice does say fuck. At oh. least once. Oh, I think in PG-13 movies, you actually can only say fuck once. Okay. And then if you well, say it a second it. time, if you say it a second time, it's rated R. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I know that because my family, <laughs> because of how I grew up. Um, but okay, I, how, so you grew up yeah. not really watching a lot of Tim Burton. No. Well, what happened was, um, you know, Tim Burton is the... The in, devil? Yes, the encapsulation of the devil and the devil's presence in mainstream media and was huge at the time of our, like, growing up. And so I don't know if my parents really knew explicitly, like, who Tim Burton was and that I couldn't watch his movies. But if they were to see a trailer of literally any of his movies, they'd be like, you, you're not watching that. That's, like, the devil. And, like, I didn't see, you know, things like Nightmare Before Christmas until... I was like a, a late teen. I didn't see a lot of those movies until I was older, but I did by the time I was a teen and entering my hot topic era, I was becoming obsessed, quote unquote, with Tim Burton, which really just meant that like I bought Tim Burton t-shirts and paraphernalia, but well, actually yeah. didn't know that much about his ooh. Well, yeah, I do think that the transformation of Tim Burton is from someone who made very strange cult films to someone who is kind of synonymous with the type of genre fandom uh, consumerism that exists at Hot Topic. Like, Tim Burton in 2022 is Hot Topic. Yeah, he is, literally. I mean, he was paying Hot Topic's light bill. Like, that's really what was happening. If you walk into a Hot Topic, you can get... 
your Jack Skellington costume. You can get your like dress that's like um, a shitty polyester that is like um, you know going to spread microplastics in this earth you for the can... next two hundred years, and it's printed with Sally's dress on it. Yeah, and for some reason, you can still buy you know a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory T-shirt or an Alice in Wonderland T-shirt. God knows why, because those are like among his worst films. So like, so you didn't spend a lot of time with his work when you were a kid, unsurprisingly. I did. I, I actually did. I, I mean, I, I did spend a lot of time, like, not as a kid kid, but by the time I was a teen, it's just, like, I did become obsessed. And I would tell people that Corpse Bride was my favorite movie. Okay. Yeah, like, that's, like, I think pretending to, like, Tim Burton was a part of who I was as a kid. But but I do think teenager is still different from kid because yeah, yeah, if yeah. we're talking about the formative power of media, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas – that, that was, was that was me as a child because Nightmare Before Christmas came out in 1993 when I was five years old, mm-hmm. and I vividly remember the day that my parents got it on VHS and brought it home. My dad also bought me all the action figures. It was my entire world, um, and I think because I got it so early, and along with that, also was into really into Beetlejuice. Um, it absolutely informed and formed my tastes and aesthetic and mm-hmm. me, yes, me being a spooky bitch. Mm-hmm. And I think if I had gotten it even a little later in life, the way that you did, that might not have been true. Or maybe I always would have been drawn to those kinds of things. But I think Tim Burton was really the only person who was putting that kind of spook into things specifically that kids could watch. Yeah, but I I mean, to go back to the initial question, like, what are the other things that make a Tim Burton film that you were, like, maybe attracted to as a kid? Because I think for me, it's like, there's the ooky spooky factor. There's the Danny Elfman score. Mm -hmm. There's, like, his use of, like... Usually a musical number. Yes, usually. If not several. If not several, that's right. You have this kind of... Emo sensibility, I think, and everything. Like, in all of his films... There's always some sad boy protagonist. Yes, and and, and at the crux of, like, pretty much every protagonist is an existential question about, like, love and death, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, and and how those things are usually at odds. But also kind of um, self-fulfillment, because he does get pretty existential, because you Mm -hmm. look at... Like Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas, mm-hmm. his whole thing is, what What am I doing? What yeah. am, What is my purpose? Yeah. What am I here for? Yeah. Edward Scissorhands. It's mm-hmm. all, it's about why who, do I exist? Who am I? Why do I exist? Mm-hmm. Even Beetlejuice. It's like, mm-hmm. what do I do with my life now that I'm dead? Yeah, now that I'm dead, I think you have a version of that even in Corpse Bride, which um, a movie that gets a lot of flack, but like I actually think perfectly distills a lot like of his. Of Tim Burton's like philosophical ideas, it is not very good. No, it's not. I, I definitely bought it in like the blockbuster dollar bin. Like you know, remember how blockbuster used to have those like bins of movies where it was like when the movie comes out, they buy like ten copies to rent, and then by the time it's like no longer relevant, they don't need ten copies of it, so they sell like nine of them for like two dollars. Yeah. I bought. Corpse Bride probably for two dollars. Like that is like the vibe. But I but I loved that movie because it was so melodramatic and because 
as a child, I was attached to a very adult idea of what it means to live, the same as like Jack Skellington, right? And I think that it makes sense that Tim Burton's movies primarily appeal to children because his ideas about human existence are actually pretty shallow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they are childlike. They're they're very there's something that a child can understand. Yeah, there's not a lot of depth there. And I wonder if it's a regression in a way because his early work is much more adult. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Ed Wood, which neither of us have seen, but it's a biopic about some flop director. And then he does things like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which, mm-hmm. you know, ostensibly is still a kid's movie, but is very adult and used to terrify me as a child. Batman and Batman Returns, which are very adult and sexy. Um, thank God for Tim Burton giving us Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Uh-huh. I I think out of all of these films that that is my favorite Tim Burton film. I'm I'm pretty gosh darn sure. Do you think you have a favorite Tim Burton film? Yeah, it's... This is tough. It's tough. It's definitely between The Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice. Okay. I do think as I have grown up, it's Beetlejuice. Yeah. That just... I will always have a place in my heart for The Nightmare Before Christmas, and I think part of why I pulled away from it is sort of the Disneyfication of The Nightmare Before Christmas Mm -hmm. and just how it's like every emo scene girl in high school had a, you know, a Jack Skellington Mm -hmm. patch on her backpack from Hot Topic. Mm -hmm. Um, I still love it. It's still amazing. It's not a Halloween movie. It's not a Christmas movie. It's a Thanksgiving movie. It's it's not. It's not. I that's just fun that's just fundamentally not true. Phoebe's in here in the studio laughing at you because that is such a inaccurate take. But the older I have grown, I do think of everything he's made, Beetlejuice is the most perfectly aligned to my tastes. Mm. Um it's funny, it's spooky, it's a little gross. It's adult. It's adult. It's horny. It's very horny. Inappropriately horny. Inappropriately horny. Um, I actually... So are you aware at all of the Beetlejuice musical? Um, I actually am, yeah. But I've never... I, I, I know that it was a hit, right? It wasn't really a hit. Oh. And actually... It, so this is the story of the Beetlejuice musical is that it wasn't really a hit, but it gained a huge cult following mm. the way that a lot of contemporary musicals that appeal to like people on Tumblr do. Um, but... Another show, I think it was The Music Man, was moving in to the theater where it was supposed to be. So it closed to huge fan outcry. And there was a a campaign to bring it back. And it is now back on Broadway once again. Wait, really? Mm -hmm. I'm actually shook by that because one thing you do not see (laughs) in this day and age is Tim Burton coming back to relevance in any capacity. Yeah. Like, it just it doesn't... He's not really there. The know? musical is very different from the movie in a lot of ways. And the music was... I, I saw it when it was still in previews um, and was not expecting what it was. Um, but it's really good. And the song Dead Mom slaps so hard. But anyway, you watched Beetlejuice for the first time last mm-hmm, night. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you know that it's my favorite Tim Burton movie. Mm-hmm. And it did come out the year I was born, 1988. Mm-hmm. So um, what did you think? 
I, I have such a <laughs> – this really should be a very simple question, um, but I, I have a hard time answering it because I, th- I think the more I think about it, I, I don't think I, I necessarily personally enjoyed it as a movie. And I think that as a kid, I would have really disliked it because I just hadn't grown an affinity for the grotesque yet. Um, it was something that I was still scared of. But watching it now where I can see a movie like Beetlejuice and know that it is, like, objectively beautiful, that it is objectively, like, cinematic invention and in something that other directors and creators were just not doing at the time, right? Like, for The Virgins, like, by this point, Tim Burton had quit being a Disney animator, right? Like, when he quit being an animator, he was like, no one's letting me do the ooky spooky shit that I want to do. Then he did Frank and Weenie, and I think another thing that caught the you know attention of Hollywood people, and then in came Beetlejuice, Pee Wee, and Batman, which I think are an amazing triad to show off like what he does as a director because they're three very different kind of takes on Tim Burton's ooky spooky aesthetic. But it's also like very much. Um, the standard trajectory for directors that still exist today, which is you make the small passion project that gets people's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, then you make the somewhat larger movie. The studio gives you some money. It turns out to be a big hit. Then you do a superhero movie. Yeah, ex- exactly. And then after that, you get to make whatever you want. And what's interesting about Beetlejuice specifically is like of these three movies, Beetlejuice is the closest to Tim Burton's current and ever-present aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is the sp- like the most spooky. It has the most claymation. It has the most like kind of like haunted house, dead diva, goth, superpower kind of stuff. Um, on the on the surface level, I mean, you and I were having a great time. Like, yeah, uh, the, uh, the when, Catherine uh, O'Hara of it all. Catherine O'Hara watching eats. Watching you watch the dinner party Deo scene <laughs> for the first time was very satisfying for me. I did not. Because you were gagged. I w- you were gagged. I was gagged, but I didn't like, I didn't like that scene. I didn't like it. I think it. that's a lie. I think you're revising history. You liked it. Well, can you? De- what, what what were my mannerisms that would describe that? You were I, you were my wrapped, jaw. You were wrapped with attention. Your jaw was on the floor. My jaw was open, but did I say anything? No, because you were so transfixed. Because I was so transfixed. Okay, so if I'm being really real with you, I don't really want to go there right away. But I I actually was really distracted by the fact that they're singing like a Jamaican song, and it's like an all white cast, and I'm like thinking about how Tim Burton thinks about these songs. And how his movies through this whole era were like all white casts. And in his, you know, defense of that, he talks about how like people of color just don't fit into his aesthetic or whatever his like words were. And I'm like, but actually they do like their sensibilities and their culture and like where and like. Well, yeah, he clearly and our presence he, he feels in culture. Ha- he's happy to, to steal from them, yes! but not to actually put them and in his movies. And he's happy to have a bunch of white people, like, lip-sync songs that are, like, sung by white people, but, like, are, like, literally historically, like, black songs. They're, like, songs that, like, say, shake, shake, senora, or whatever. And it's, like, I don't know. This is, this is I'm, like, over, honestly, like, I, I, I the reason I don't want to, I didn't want to go into it is because it's such a not fun reaction to a movie that is ultimately actually very entertaining and inventive and good. And there are a lot of things that I like about Tim Burton. And yet, because 
I guess this is what I'm taking responsibility for. For the virgins, I think I went into the viewing experience of Beetlejuice already feeling like I didn't like Tim Burton. Well, because when we started watching the movie, you were literally reading an article about Tim Burton being racist. Yes, I was. And would not look up from it to watch the movie. No, no, no. That was just in the first five minutes. That was just in the first five minutes. So So I did watch the film. You did did kind of set yourself up there. No, but the thing is, that would have been the case. Even even if I hadn't read that article, I know that I was coming into that experience with a net distaste for Tim Burton as someone sure. who used to be obsessed with him. And I I think that, you know— And I understand the distaste. I think all of the things that you're saying yes. are true. Yes. And that I am biased because—I mean, A, I'm white, so I'm like, I'm yeah. always biased by that. And B— his movies were extremely important to my understanding of my own, you know, sensibilities as a child. Yeah, and I don't necessarily feel like me bringing up my reaction to that scene is like is what makes this movie like problematic or cancelable or whatever. That's like not really what I'm trying to say. It was just like my pure naked reaction, and I I kind of just tried to I tried to like go back and think like what would you be thinking about this if you had watched it in the early 90s. Instead, like, what would your reaction have been? I think you would have just been scared. I think I would have been scared, yeah. I don't... I think I would have latched on to maybe Gina Davis's character, Winona Ryder's character, but I think... Not Catherine O'Hara? No, yeah, I would have... No, that's true, that's true. I would have loved Catherine O'Hara. The sleigh of the millennium. Yeah, she really did that. She really did that. But, um... This was not the only Tim Burton film that Catherine O'Hara did, also. She is the voice of Sally in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, my God, I forgot that yeah. she did that. That was her moment. But and I she don't, sang, too? Yeah. Um, but I don't think she's been in any of his other films. And, yeah, there's a couple people, obviously, that Tim Burton has worked with again and again. Yeah. There's some people who are only in a few films. And then, well, there's kind of really only one person, which is Helena Bonham Carter, who's been in everything he's ever made because and Johnny they, Depp I because would they, say no because Johnny Depp has done Sleepy Hollow mm-hmm. Corpse Bride Edward Scissorhands Sweeney Todd Alice in Wonderland okay Dark Char- Shadows Charlie, Charlie and the, the Chocolate, Chocolate Factory. Factory yeah okay, girl yeah. So <laughs> yeah, he, so, I think okay, he's so done most, as many so as Helena most of his movies yeah and Helena was married to him Ed also Wood. have you ever heard the story that they um, lived in houses next door to each other and there was a tunnel that went underneath the ground that connected them. I've heard that. We should probably fact check that, but it is my ideal relationship. It is also <laughs> my ideal relationship. Um, but then, yeah, there are some people like Winona only did two movies. Mm-hmm. She did Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. Wow. And I feel like maybe, unless you are Tim Burton's partner, mm-hmm. if you're a woman, you age out of being his muse rather quickly. Yeah. Because as we've seen, Tim Burton is obsessed with this ingenue figure there's always some bitch in his movie with big ass eyes a tiny waist she's usually blonde or very dark hair no she's definitely always they're actually like archetypes where it is the same length long blonde like wavy curly hair but then you have winona in beetlejuice and she has dark hair but then she does have the blonde hair in edward scissorhands that's what i'm yeah i don't think that winona in beetlejuice fits the moment but she does i think that throughout all of his films we have this supple virginal 
innocent, just on the cusp of adolescence girl. And you noticed you noticed this when we were watching last night because we were watching Sleepy Hollow, which Christina Ricci plays this character, but Mia Wasakasakowski or whatever in Alice in Wonderland is that girl, mm-hmm. the girl from Sweeney, the, you know, the songbird, Greenfinch and Joanna. Joanna is that in Sweeney Todd. Um, and then there is... Um, Bella Heathcote and Dark Shadows. Yeah, and it's just like, um, it's amazing that Tim Burton's like, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just, like, kind of um, creepy. <laughs> it's kind of creepy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. It's the same. It's, it's like creepy. a type. It's creepy, but it's not surprising. It's almost boring. It's, like, creepy on the level that, like, Quentin Tarantino always has these scenes about, like, feet. feet? You know what I mean? Like, that is, like, what it makes me think of. Um, but. But uh, you know what? I am grateful that it launched Winona's career mm-hmm. because then. Because of, because we have Winona. It was so funny. We were watching, um, as we were watching Beetlejuice from some angles, I was like, I was like, oh my God, Winona looks exactly like Millie Bobby Brown. And you were like, no, no, no. Millie Bobby Brown looks like Winona. Like she was the blueprint for the ooky spooky girl, which I think is so smart. Um, She is all I wanted to be. I also thought it was very funny last night when you were trying to figure out why Lydia Dietz is the only one in Beetlejuice who can see the ghosts, and you decided it's just because she's, she's goth. goth. Yeah. I mean, she literally says, she is looking in the handbook and says, don't see the strange and unusual, and she famously says, I myself am strange and unusual. So, yeah, yeah she's just a goth. Also, I she's love um, our producer Phoebe pointed out that Beetlejuice is, at its core, a film about gentrification. <laughs> and displacement. <laughs> and displacement. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I wish that we as ghosts could go back and haunt the gentrifying populations of, like, you know, Fort Greene or whatever. No, but, like, <laughs> I, I was the gentrifier. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I was, I was as well. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip I thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board This is Uncanny USA He says somebody's in the house and I screamed Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Hey, 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. When we're talking about like other things that are recurring themes in like Tim Burton movies. I feel like we saw a lot of those between the double feature that we had last night in Sleepy Hollow and Beetlejuice. Sleepy Hollow is one of my favorites. It came out in 1999, so I was 11 years old. I was like it was exactly the right time for me mm-hmm. for that movie. You know, it's a little bit more adult than the other stuff he was making at the time. Yeah, it was. Um, spooky vibes. There's witches in it. Mm-hmm. Um, as I told you last night, I used to have an action figure of the witch character. <laughs> Which is so stupid. When you squeezed her, the snakes would pop out of her eyes and her mouth. And <laughs> I just, she was my most prized possession. She was your most prized possession. Like, I also got an action figure of Ichabod Crane. And I was like, what am I, what the fuck am the I going to do Depp with him? The Johnny Depp version or a Disney yeah. version or yeah. the Johnny Depp version? Wow. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with him? Yeah, his his eyes don't pop out. And I also got the headless horseman who came with a horse. And I was like, I want the horse. I don't really care Which, about the horseman. Wait, well, I just wait. want the witch and the horse. That's it. Wait, let's get into it. The headless horseman, unbeknownst to me, was played by Christopher Walken. And I said, and I have to say, Christopher Walken's character selection across time and space is untouchable. It is so perfect, and it is so Christopher Walken. And like there, what he ch- the what he, the characters he chooses to play are simultaneously predictable and yet perfectly in his ethos. Also, I revealed to you last night that he may or may not have killed Natalie Wood, which I had no, you idea. Had no idea. Did also, you know this, Phoebe? That Christopher Walken has maybe killed Natalie Wood. Okay, would also, you explain this? Yes, Natalie Wood drowned on a boat, and no one knows how she died. And Christopher Walken was on the boat. One of three people on this boat. I don't know how many people. Not that many um, people on the boat, but Christopher Walken was. Another one of thing that you didn't know was it. It you. It took you an hour an until hour. I mentioned it for you to realize that that was a young Alec Baldwin in Beetlejuice. I had no idea. And let me say. He has a fat ass. He does. He has a juicy he ass. He has a juicy, juicy ass. Listen, we don't support Alec Baldwin. No. Or his wife. Or his wife, Elaria. <laughs> Elaria. And, and they're like 25 children. Ain't nothing um, Elaria about and it. And the woman that he killed on the set of that movie. Um, right, I but, forgot that he killed a woman. But. Oh my God, that's not funny. He is really, really hot in Beetlejuice. But honestly, actually, now that we're like panning out a little bit, like. The fact that Timber is so comfortable working with, like, an Alec Baldwin or a Johnny Depp, I think is very telling of the people he might find in his circle. For sure. And the fact that these, a lot of, I think a lot of his films are produced by Scott Rudan, 
I think there are some mm. there are some connections here yeah. about Tim Burton as Men a creator. Men in Hollywood suck. Yeah. Wow. I really cracked the case on that one. <laughs> this is what the people. Oh this God. is what the people someone, pay for. Someone, please clip this out and <laughs> yeah. send it to send the it New to York the P- Times. The Peabodies, please. Okay. So I well, must. It must be acknowledged. Shut up. About, I was. Let about, me say it. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. I need to be the one to say. Okay. Yes. I did. I did fall asleep halfway through the movie. And when I woke you up to tell you I was leaving, you went, that was so good. <laughs> did I really? <laughs> yeah, which you always <laughs> which you always do. And when we watch something and you fall asleep, you go, that was so good. <laughs> and then you and then you're and Where then did I that? Yeah, and then you try to get me to stay and hang out. Oh yeah. I and did. I'm like, you're sleeping. Uh, yeah, I was like, stay hang, please. Let's hang, hang out. Let's hang, hang out. out. <laughs> Um, okay, but here's what I do remember actually that I, I do remember thinking that it was pretty flawlessly gorgeous. Like I it's remember, a beautiful. Movie. I remember thinking it was beautiful. I thought I remember the costumes. Inventing. Oh my god, Christina's waist and her wig and for Miranda na- Richardson. Yeah, I have so many Harry Potter actors for in an, one movie. And for '99, did not feel dated at all. Like felt like fully. No, it's a very classic story. Very classic story. Like I, I, I one think, of the oldest. American myths. Yeah, and we were attracted. Fables, we were attracted to uh, Christopher Lee, who plays one of the judges. Well, um, because he is Saruman. He is, uh, Saruman. And, and when he came on screen, I was like, "Look, the, the diva, diva, the diva doll, the diva doll herself, <laughs> Christopher Lee." He also plays uh, an angry priest in The Corpse Bride, I think. And I love actually that priests are like, um, uh villains in his his films and yeah. stuff that's well, kind of Johnny cool. Depp's dad in um Sleepy Hollow is a priest who put, finds out his wife Johnny Depp's mother is a witch and puts her in an iron maiden and kills her. Yeah, I I thought that was pretty pretty disgusting but beautiful like again the first time i ever understood what an iron maiden was it was also the first time i understood what an iron maiden was um last night that is but yeah watching cp hollow like i i I did i was kind of like um i couldn't stop thinking about the thing that you noticed about this like long-haired blonde virgin um archetype and the fact that johnny depp is 36 in this movie and christina ricci is the actor is the actor is about crane is sure but the actor is 36 and christina ricci is 18 and i was like tim burton went out of his way to cast like this you know but what that i mean it also is and i'm not defending it again but it also is that's hollywood that's hollywood sure, it's sure, like sure. old decrepit man and a baby girl he didn't look decrepit i literally thought he was in his 20s i literally thought he was in his 20s he looks really young but he um you know, just just to, just to get it out of the way, I must say that though he is very, though Johnny Depp is very um, cute in in Sleepy Hollow, he is his hottest in the movie Chocolat, which I did finally watch <laughs> over the break. We're not talking. No, 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 no. About I, we're going to talk about it. We're not. We're going to talk Chocolat about. Chocolat is not a Tim Burton film. Chocolat is a Julia Binoche vehicle, and we that, are not talking. That must be discussed. And we're not. This is not an episode about Johnny Depp. No, it's no. But I have to say, no, that, no, no, no. Rose, let no, me no. say. Let me say no. this. Yes, and no, no, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. I must say, Johnny Depp was excruciatingly fine in Chocolat. Like, he was... I dare anyone, anyone with a fe- with a feminist perspective to watch Chocolat and tell me that Johnny Depp is not 
fine. Oh, you want you want to tell bah, bah, Amber Heard that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to tell Amber Heard that. But he is so sexy. In okay, that movie. great. Are you one of his bots now? Tweeting <laughs> about. You know, um, uh, about like Amber Heard's okay, like wait. body tells. Wait, 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 wait. Actually, this is a really good. This is a really good tangent because not if it's about chocolate. It no, isn't. come on. This is this is this is. Um, I I do think that um, there is something to be said about a cultural attachment in the present day to Johnny Depp. And Tim Burton's part to play in that, right? Yeah, because he's and, he's yes. he's looped into our childhoods yes. in this way that is very hard to extricate ourselves yes, from. Yes, because both, he was in both everything. because of this and because of Pirates of the Caribbean, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. Yes, um, he was everywhere, and I was, um, you know, admittedly like a bandwagon Tim Burton fan because I didn't have access to culture, you know, when he came out, as so to speak. So to speak, and so of the closet of the when I when I can't when I when he whatever when I started consuming. Do you think Tim, Bur- Tim Burton's ever sucked and fucked? No, I think he's really homophobic. Yeah, I think he's real. Yeah. I'm not joking. I I think that yeah. he is really retro retro homophobic, like fire and brimstone homophobic. No, not like, like not e- not not even like. I don't care what they do. I just don't want to see it. It's like he's actively like, I don't want to see it, and you're going to hell. Yeah, and I think he thinks. I think his kind of issue is really the 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 poo poo in the butthole thing. Because like there's I think never he been, is not not poo poo in the butthole. He's all like, whoa, 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 you guys been, do it in the doo doo caca. There's never been any queerness in anything he's ever well, made. Well, let's be clear. There has been rampant queerness and gayness in his films, but not sure. of his design. Yes. Yes. And, and and that's the thing is like we were watching Beetlejuice and there's this faggot character who is almost almost explicitly fag. Otho. Uh, faggot. Yeah, Otho. Well, no, they like they say it, it coded like several something times. about your kind or yeah. whatever. But like again, it's like a homophobic remark. Like it, I think that Tim Burton is like explicitly homophobic. Well, you know, in the musical Beetlejuice, so you know how in the movie Beetlejuice keeps trying to hook up with Gina Davis? Mm-hmm. In the musical, they have it be the Alec Baldwin character. Oh, that's awesome. Who he's trying to fuck. Oh, I love that. So that's a nice little subversion. Yeah, I love that. Um, So like on that note, as I was saying, like I was a bandwagon fan. So by the time I started to love Tim Burton, he was starting to sell out. So... Um, and what do you define as him selling out? Well, it's funny because his career started because he felt there was no place for him in Hollywood. And when Hollywood started to give him vehicles for his ooky spooky um, aesthetic and they understood how that was like marketable and that there was like, you know, an audience for this. He was making films that like I think a lot of Timber and Stans see as really amazing and untouchable like Beetlejuice or Batman and then as he got more and more successful and created um, things that were more truly just for commercial success and not for the art, that um, people saw the quality of his work decline. So and like Alice in Wonderland. For me, that was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Alice in Wonderland. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was 2005. Alice in Wonderland was 2010. So they weren't that close. But um, – I saw both of those movies in theaters. I thought Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was actually pretty good when I watched it. Like, I thought 
I remember really enjoying it, unfortunately. I will always be a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory truther. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they... I, I think Gene that, Wilder forever. Obviously, they're going to be compared, but I do think Tim Burton made something that was uniquely his own. I remember really, like, by that time, I was a full-blown stan. So I think my experience of the film was maybe a little tainted. But I do think it um, is emblematic of something that he does really well, which is um, show us how much he can push a really dark edge um, into a children's film. Like, this is a textual children's film. But, like, Roald Dahl, you know, was... um, His source material was always sanitized for movies, right? Like, his books were way darker than what the movies made them out to be. Not always. Look at The Witches. The Witches is one of the movies that scared me the most when I was a kid. I th- but the but the book is even I would say yeah that the movie is a tried and true very dark adaptation, but I still think the book is darker. It is darker in the way it ends mm-hmm. um because the in the end of the book, The Witches, um they talk about how the boy is going to die in a couple years because mm-hmm. he's a mouse. Um, and the movie ends with a happy ending with him getting turned back into a human. Yeah. I honestly, um, I don't know why my brain is jumping to this, but I'm thinking a lot just about, like, childhood and how, like, there is this weird kind of childhood corruption and childhood trauma narrative that flows through a lot of his movies, right? Like, what happened to Tim Burton as a kid? Like, because when you think about... You know, his dog died or with, something? Yeah, with seriously. Frank and Weenie? Alice in Wonderland, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But I think Alice in Wonderland is like... S- Frank Disney and wanted to make it, and they hired him to do Sweeney it. Sweeney Todd. Yeah, that's true. That's true. With Sweeney Todd, with that movie, Pirelli's Helper, and also um, Joanna are these, like, archetypes that come in and out of Tim Burton's movies where we have a child that is being corrupted by people in their life that are sometimes pedophilic, which I think is the case of Joanna's dad. Well, Joanna's dad, who is, you know, um, the judge, wants to marry her. Right, yeah. And And then also just, like, this child who's been pushed over the edge and then murders someone... I, what do you think that is? Like, I, I think it's kind of like uh, what? What? Like, I mean, I don't know that that, that 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 exactly. Well, I guess there's we, a pervy kind of through line in some of his films. Yeah. Well, I think when you have a male director, and this is something that I think about a lot with people like Ryan Murphy, mm. when you have someone who only makes art about youth. And young people. Yeah. What's that about? What trauma are you working through? When is Ryan Murphy going to get over high school? When is <laughs> Tim Burton going to get over his childhood? That is such a good way of putting it. Because I do think that in this era of Tim Burton, why didn't he at some point go make an adult movie? Like, yeah. he had all of the blank checks that he like available to cash mm-hmm. that he could have done that but clearly this is just what he's interested in doing is making movies about childhood and you know adolescence and you know these coming of age stories why is he so stuck on it and where Sweeney Todd is an adult movie i would say that his films got progressively more childlike he's only done a few things like mars attacks yeah. you know is 
an adult movie. Yeah, but it also there are several character point of view characters who are children, and I think he's always in anything he does is going to find that point of view to look from. Even the yeah. next thing that he's doing is he's um, executive producing the new Wednesday show for Netflix which, about Wednesday Adams, trailer, which looks which looks really fun. I'm excited about good. it. The trailer looks um, good. But again, he just – I think this – when he's dead one day and we look back at the entirety of his career, this will be one of the things we pulled out is that this was a man who made movies about – youth and how scary being young could be Mm -hmm. and maybe the horror and the spookiness that he was drawn to was a way of making literal how terrifying it is to be a child yeah which i appreciate right like we've discussed james and the giant peach before which i think he was only like a tangential producer on or well, something it's like directed that. by henry Selick, yeah who, who worked on the nightmare before christmas okay okay so that the, all the the connect the connections are there and i think james and the giant peach is another film that really exemplifies the thing you just kind of crystallized about um childhood and and what that maybe meant to tim burton but I don't know. I, I think that when we to your to your point, like when he dies, I'll be curious to know what we still think of him as a director and if he still has a chance to contribute something to the culture that is as impactful as what he released in the, you know, nineties. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip I thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board This is Uncanny USA He says somebody's in the house and I screamed Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. There are a lot of um, detractions to be made about his work. Yeah. Like, as we already touched on briefly, he is a person who only makes movies about white people. Yeah, which is um, kind of kind of funny sometimes. Like, I, I, I think that um, for The Virgins, if you don't know, like, uh, a Bustle interview, like, five, six years ago, um, interviewed him and asked him specifically about how his films only have white people in them. And uh, he said, um, nowadays, he's like, nowadays people are talking more about it, but he said, um, things either call for things or they don't. I remember back when I was a child watching the Brady Bunch and they started to get all politically correct, which is a term politically correct is something that Tim Burton says frequently, which I think is very telling about the type of person he is. Um, and then he says like, okay, they have, let's have an Asian child and a black, a black, um, I used to get more offended by that than just I grew up watching black exploitation movies and I didn't say there should be more white people in these movies, which is in, in it's just an insane. It's, he's like reverse racism, yes, you know, literally, it's, which isn't a thing. Yeah. And like, you know, it's it's a false equivalent. I mean, we didn't have to explain why it's wrong, but it is like a false equivalency, right? Like black exploitation films were created as like a political statement to combat the erasure of black people from films. Tim Burton's movies are not a political statement to provide more whiteness into the culture, right? He, What he's trying to say, I think, is that this is his aesthetic, right? Aesthetic is, some, is a word that comes up a lot in describing the whiteness of his film. And because this is what he's comfortable in, he's saying, this is the world that I live in, which is honestly, like, if he wants to say this is the world that I live in, which I don't think, he, I don't know if he said that, but, like, this is the world that I want to live in, this is the world that I do live in. It's um, clearly the world that he sees, the world he imagines. It is clearly his perfect world. Because yes. that's what you do as a director is create this, like, idealized version of the world to make your little stories in. Yes, and it's like your films are not a reclamation of white culture. Your films are, like, retention of white culture comfort right like you are if you're saying this is the real world you live in what you are telling us is that you don't have any friends of color or like queer friends you know what i mean i mean i was watching the end of um sleepy hollow which you were asleep during last night and christina ricci's character who's supposed to be you know so pure Mm -hmm. by she is so white she's glowing Mm -hmm. and pearlescent Mm -hmm. you know he loves she She is, it's just so clear what he considers to be, you know, the um, the archetype, the ideal version of woman, of womanhood, of white womanhood, of whiteness, of just what it is to be a person. Look at like the self insert he puts in all of his movies, which is Johnny Depp, mm-hmm. who is like the whitest man possible. Yeah. And, and I, and, and almost like a, a perversion of whiteness, right? Like, because there are reports that Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka was inspired by Michael Jackson. Have you heard this? 
Um, no, but that makes sense. It makes too much it sense. It does, yeah. That's really gross. It's really gross, but also feels in the line of what we were saying earlier about like childhood corruption, like things like that. It's like, why? It's like something that Tim Burton keeps like latching onto. I, I don't know. know. And then we, um, there's the oogie boogie of it all, yes. which you were reading about last night. Something I had, you were describing to me, I had never heard about that like oogie boogie was essentially like a slur used to describe jazz musician Cab Calloway and that the oogie boogie man is kind of a, a Cab Calloway reference right? yeah he's a Without very he's a very it. racist um you know caricature yeah caricature and i think that it's i think that him and then samuel l jackson in um the miss peregrine's like orphanage whatever the fuck movie that was are the only two black people to have ever had roles in a yeah. tim burton film that which movie is, is not great but it does have a great florence and the machine song on the soundtrack oh does it really yeah. um i okay so like i on it but anyways you know i, I don't want to harp on like the the tim burton being problematic of it all because we've heard it all before but i do think that his failure to see truly see the world around him is part of the reason he's no longer relevant as a creator. Like, he Mm -hmm. truly has not made anything relevant since Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I think. Because I think Alice in Wonderland, Wonderland, where I think it is his highest grossing film, was a critical flop, right? Yeah. Or, like, at at the very least, all of his stands did not like it. Yeah, I think kind of what the thing is is that now we live in a world— we live in a post Tim Burton world mm-hmm. where there are a lot of creators who were influenced by him and went on to make things in the same kind of, you know, aesthetic um, vein or with the same tone, but they were people of color, queer people who created their work with diversity and inclusion in mind because that was their worldview. So now we we don't need this one man in his singular vision because the vision is kind of outdated and the next generation of people that who he inspired who like they definitely owe a debt to sure. um are making the work that he just never could make. And they're doing it better. Yeah. Doing it better than he is currently. Yes, exactly. In that same vein of what you were just talking about, um Jordan Peele's making this kind of Tim Burton-esque claymation called Wendell and Wild um, that I think is going to be a part of this legacy of creators that you're talking about. Yeah, I've about. heard about it. There's um, there's a trans character who's played by a trans actor in it. Oh, cool. That's awesome. And I also know that, like, this... I think this Wednesday series, honestly, even though Tim Burton is a part of it, um, he's not, like the person behind it am i right about that? yeah it's kind of like a tim burton presents yeah but it's an all latin story so i'll be interested to see you know how far that's get that gets pushed and if this is something that is you know inspired by tim burton but not like created by tim burton um but i'm probably he's probably the executive producer so i'm sure his handprints are all over it stylistically right especially because it seems like it's more in the YA genre space, um, it'll be pretty, you know, diverse. Yeah. And inclusive. And the trailer looks good. It looks like Yeah, good. it looks fun. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. Um, I like Jenna Ortega, who is in literally everything. Wait, what else is she in? She was in the Babysitter movie. Right. She was in the new Scream. She was in X. Oh. She was in the... 
second season of You. She's just popping up everywhere. But this is her first big starring role. Uh, should we talk about like our Tim Burton blind spots, like the movies we haven't seen, like yeah. or just to like acknowledge for the versions that we like we haven't seen Ed Wood, which we is haven't maybe seen Ed Wood, one of his more critically acclaimed movies? Question mark. I think it's one of his more serious movies. Sarah Jessica Parker's in it, I believe. What? Yeah, love she, that. and she's also in Mars Attacks, which I love. She she's in Mars Attacks. She's in Mars Attacks, and she gets her head put on a dog's body. Oh my god! Wait, I've seen that on the cover of Mars Attacks. Her head is like literally on the covers. I have a, like an imprinted memory of being in Blockbuster. I think other than those and um, big eyes, big eyes, I've seen everything. You've uh, we haven't seen and Dum- I haven't seen Frank and Weenie or Dumbo. Uh, no, yeah, I haven't seen Dumbo. Dumbo, I wonder. Or you've seen Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Yeah. What was that like? I don't really remember. <laughs> a- Ava Gr- I'm sure Ava Green was great because Ava Green is great in everything. She's so fun in Dark Shadows. Um, Chloe Grace Moretz is a werewolf in it. That's all I need to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you seen her Carrie? I have with, not seen with her Julianne Carrie. Moore. I think it would maybe ruin Carrie for me. You wouldn't. You wouldn't like it because you maybe are I'll, a traditionist. But it is really I'll good. Watch it's really it good for our Stephen King episode. It's good. I think you. I but really have you like seen it. the original Carrie? No. Okay, so you can't talk to me about no. that. Okay. We we've never. Have you ever seen Planet of the Apes? <laughs> no, I've never seen Planet of the Apes. But you know what? I have seen a lot of Jack Skellington Sally porn. Oh my God! Why? I Why? wonder if there's Jack <laughs> Skellington gay porn. Let's see. There has to be. Okay, Jack Skellington getting fucked by Oogie Boogie. Oh, no. Jack Skellington. Okay, there's, he's, ooh, look, ooh, look at the hot jack-o'-lantern. Oh, that's hot. Wow, his dick is huge. Oh, that's very, Um, hot. (laughs) There's Jack Skellington, I think he's with the Slender Man. He's fucking the Slender Man. Who's the Slender Man? It's an urban legend. Oh, here's one where he's... Got Santa tied up and is tickling his feet. Oh um, my god! Sort of non-consensually, but also Santa seems That's, to be into well, it. Well, maybe the non-consensual part is part of the kink. Um. Oh yeah. There's just a lot of Jack and Sally porn. Oh, and then here's thick Jack Skellington. I like that. I'm into it. Would fuck. We'll be back next week with two episodes, you know, continuing our October double slam weekly um, whatever, double penetration. Um, On Tuesday, we have a special episode all about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And then on Thursday, an episode devoted to the master of murder, mystery, mayhem, Stephen King. The Diva Doll. The Diva Doll herself. <laughs> no. So um, tell us what your favorite Tim Burton movie is, or if you have any hot takes about him. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you're being for Halloween. Tag us in all your spooky content. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. It really helps us a lot. I am your co-host, Rose Domu. You can find me anywhere on social, at Rose Domu. And I'm Fran Trotto. You can find me at Fran Squishco, anywhere you want. Also DM us at Like a Virgin for 2069. You can subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Krainchich, and Nikki Etor. 
Until next week, this is Halloween. This is Halloween. <laughs> when will it be over? <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, we have to go. That is <laughs> This is Halloween. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now, I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.